What's going on, everybody, and welcome into this edition of B-Shape Daily Live. As tonight, we're talking about a Cardinals loss, I guess maybe four of them over the past four days as we haven't done a live stream since prior to the weekend. And yeah, the Cardinals are spiraling out of control. It's really ugly. And today was kind of a further exemplification of that, if you will. Four to three Rangers over the Cardinals. It's a walk-off winner on a base hit to left after Arenado just whiffs on a pop fly. I mean, you can't make up the ways the Cardinals are giving these games away right now. And uh, yet it's happening. It's happening to this team. It happened over the weekend as they couldn't score against Pittsburgh. You know, I had kind of been dismissive of the Pirates and, and their staying power in the NL Central. They showed me a thing or two with what they were able to do over the weekend. And how about that David Bednar, too? Uh, that's that's what it looks like, man. When you have a, a closing pitcher and you have a guy that's just the dude, he goes out three days in a row and he gets the job done. Pirates did that to the Cardinals. They had their closer helping out. And then tonight, Cardinals couldn't get anything going really offensively once again until in the eighth inning they did. They, they spark a little bit of a rally and a base running gaffe is the only way I could phrase what Tommy Edmond did there to not score, to not basically be biting at the ankles of Nolan Gorman all the way around the bases. It's just kind of a brain fart. You know, I haven't heard Tommy Edmond's explanation. I imagine folks that are there in Arlington will, will try to get a chance to talk to Tommy about the play. Usually one of the, the Cardinals' most savvy players on the diamond. And in this instance, I think he made a gaffe and it cost the Cardinals the go-ahead run. And then they end up giving up the game there in the bottom of the ninth. So it's ugly all the way around. The record is the record at 25 and 36. It feels drastically different than it did four or five days ago. The Cardinals were four and a half games back going into Friday. A series in Pittsburgh where you can look at a division rival that you don't necessarily expect to be above you in the standings, but at the time they were, and, and and now everybody is in the NL Central. But you have to take advantage of those games, especially in 2023, now that the balanced schedule is in effect. You only play all the division opponents like 12 times per season instead of the 18, 19 that it had been in past years. So you got to take advantage of those. And I talked about it on the radio, and I think I mentioned it on B-Shape Daily as well. You've got to treat a series like that like a playoff series going into it if you're the Cardinals. And I I, I don't know. I'm I'm not seeing, and this is a hard thing to quantify, and so I, I hate to even bring this up, but like when you watch this team play right now, I'm just kind of wondering like where's the, what's the connected thread in all of this? It's not to say that there's no passion because you see, you see players when things go wrong or when things go right. I mean, Wilson Contreras getting to third base early in this game uh, after the drop by Adolis Garcia that, that gets him to second base. He steals third. He's passionate. I mean, he's on third base hooping and hollering, trying to get the boys going, and they end up bringing that run home with a DeYoung base hit. And so, like, I, it's not the right way to frame it that there's no passion with this team right now. But it's like it's just not connected. It's disjointed. Doesn't it feel very disjointed? Whereas you would think something like that could propel the Cardinals into a win and into a you know a game. That, that's a play that happened early in this game. What was that, the second inning when the Cardinals scored that? Immediately they give back three runs. As Adam Wainwright, once again, is getting hit around. And I put this stat out on Twitter, and it's not exactly the same as it was at the time because Wainwright ended up pitching more innings and, and honestly did settle down. So his... Uh, the rate of the hits that he has allowed this season 
it's not as bad as the stat I'm about to give you. But when I looked it up at the time, Wainwright had allowed for the season, it was like 1.517 hits per inning was the average number of hits per inning that Wainwright had allowed. And now it's probably closer to 1.4 because he had a few innings where he didn't allow very many hits toward the end of that outing. But like one and a half hits per inning is about where Adam Wainwright has been this season. And for context, Miles Michaelis coming into the day had allowed more hits than any pitcher in Major League Baseball this season. And Michaelis has been one of the Cardinals' better starters, right? But And he allowed 10 hits in his last outing, so that helped. But he has allowed more hits than any starter in Major League Baseball. And he's allowing like 1.13 hits per inning. And Wainwright's allowing about one and a half hits per inning. And so he is constantly having to dodge traffic. It's been the story of his season. He is a pitch-to-contact pitcher, and when you look at the recipe and the formula for how he kind of has to thrive, and he comes up with some strikeouts here and there. He only had three today, though, in five and a third. And again, Adam Wainwright was not the problem with the Cardinals today. Five and a third, giving up three runs, that it's not pretty, and the ERA isn't great. That's probably an ERA around five. But if you, every time out from your number four starter or whatever you want to classify Adam Wainwright as in the current moment, if you're getting five and a third, three runs, it's not the end of the world. It's not going to kill you. Where's your offense? Where's your supposed top five offense? And maybe the Cardinals didn't self-proclaim themselves to be this offense, but Ollie Marmel did say in spring training early in the season that this offense is going to be powerful. He used some bold terms going back to you know, his office in Jupiter. He used some bold terms about what this offense would be this season for the Cardinals, and we've seen it at times. We are absolutely not seeing it right now from this group. And that's where I don't know, like, where's the connected thread of the passion that's going to propel them to some of these big games offensively. And it's not even like you have to score 14 runs or 18 runs every night. But you've got to find the more fives and sixes and scoring in multiple innings and taking advantage of your opportunities. Here's another game tonight for the Cardinals. They score a run in the second which, again, that was kind of gifted to them by the Contreras play that, you know, I don't know what happened. Garcia just was lackadaisical with it and missed the ball. Didn't even know he had dropped it. And then Wilson taking advantage of a situation. Josh Young's not on third, and so he takes third. And Paul Young drives him in. That's great. Eighth inning, it I mean, they were just, the hit parade was going. It was going, it was going. And Goldschmidt just couldn't quite, I mean, he gets the sack fly, but couldn't quite be the the big difference-making swing that you thought might be coming. I kind of had a sense right there that they were about to break this game open. Um, and they, they very well could have, but they run into an out there with Edmund coming around third on on what, what should have been, I mean, the go-ahead hit by Arenado. Big swing. They tie the game on it. I mean, Gorman didn't read it great, but Edmund's, Edmund, all Edmund has to do is not pass him on the bases. And you kind of have an awareness of where the ball is. Now, I don't know if Edmund was stopped by the third base coach. That may have been something that I just missed, you know, in the the chaos of everything going on. I don't know whether, and you guys can help me with that, if that was something that was discussed on the broadcast or not. But it is just bonkers that it's like the Cardinals are supposed to be the team that does all the fundamentals right. And when you're not always producing with runners in scoring position, which has been the struggle until the young's hit in the second inning that drove in Wilson Contreras. I think they were over their last 15 or 16, something like that after a couple of offers on Saturday and Sunday today, three for seven was the Cardinals with runners in scoring position. They only left four on base, but they're making outs on the bases. 
the, I mean, the Tommy Edmond play, and I get Arenado doesn't expect Edmond to be retreating back to the bag either. I think that one was on Edmond. I don't think it's Arenado. I mean, he's just trying to aggressively take the next bag. I just cannot fathom if Edmond just, I mean, he could jog home. The throw wasn't close. I don't even think they, I don't even think the Rangers realized what was going on, to be quite honest with you. I don't think they had like the wherewithal to go, oh, here's the situation that's happening, and this guy is actually right behind Gorman, and we can get him out. Like, I have, I think they had no clue. If you just keep running, I think that's a situation you take advantage of, and it just did not, it didn't go that way. It was bizarre. And that's a that's a tough break for the Cardinals in that spot because if they score that run, man, it's 4-3. You never, you never know what could happen thereafter. Obviously, if the bottom of the ninth unfolds the way that it did, maybe you're, you're bumming anyway. But that is just an opportunity where they could have maybe taken the wind out of the sails a little bit for the Rangers, and it was still tied instead. You give them a free out on the basis of a guy that was there to score, that is, that is tough, and it's just the Cardinals right now. It is just so inexplicable the way they are they're, they're giving these opportunities away, and they're telling opponents, hey, we'll, we'll keep you in the game. We're not going to have that killer instinct where we can put you down. We're not the Cardinals of old where we're going to do all the little things right. It's not to say that for a full season it's been this way, but I mean, there have been. You go back to April and you go back to early May when this team was really struggling. 10 and 24 was the start. A lot of the little things weren't getting done. That is just a fact. You know, it's not, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm just looking at the numbers here and I'm looking at the way this season has gone. You were 10 and 24. That was your record. And they did such a great job to go then, I believe I have this right, 15 and 8 over the next stretch to get within four and a half games of the Brewers in the division. And they just absolutely pissed it away over the weekend in Pittsburgh. And nobody thought coming into this Rangers series that it would be easy. I mean, the Rangers are playing some really good baseball. They've got a lot of things going for them. Offensively, pitching. I talked about on B-Shape Daily, one of the days that the Cardinals had off in those uh, two consecutive off days last week. I did a whole episode talking about the Rangers rotation and how maybe we overlooked maybe the the presence of Mike Maddox and just not fully appreciating how difficult it could be to replace that veteran experience and the wisdom that he would bring to his staff, particularly in a year where you're changing catchers and all these other things, World Baseball Classic and the like. Like Maybe we just didn't fully appreciate that. I, that's something I talked about on B-Shape Daily last week. That's kind of an evergreen episode if you want to go back on your uh, Spotify feed or right here on YouTube. I believe I, I put that video on YouTube as well, which, by the way, would love to have you guys subscribe to this YouTube channel if you enjoy these kinds of conversations about the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm doing these daily for the most part. It's not always going to be a live stream, but it's a podcast that'll be up in the morning the next day, if not. And we're talking, I would say, pretty consistently six days a week. The the folks who have been following along for the last couple of months can vouch for it. Uh, this is kind of what we do here. So we'd love to have you subscribe as we continue to build this channel up. And uh, if you want just an audio-only version of the show, Spotify, it'll be all up on Spotify in the morning as well. I record the audio from these so that you'll never miss anything if you don't happen to be joining well, while it's live. And if you have an iPhone, Apple Podcasts is another place you can get the show. Um, but I'm a, I'm living that Android life. So I don't know if anybody out there is like that. All right. I've kind of ranted a little bit because I just don't know what to make of this situation. Uh, I did want to mention one thing about it before I jump in the comments. Ali Marmel said yesterday, this was a story. I, I read this quote in a story by John Denton, who was there in Pittsburgh covering the Cardinals for MLB.com, as he always does. And the quote from Marmel, and I, I tweeted it out. So if you will excuse me for a moment, I can find it. He was asked about whether this kind of reminds him of what was going on in April. And here's the little blurb from John Denton's story for MLB.com. 
quote, no, not even blanking close. There's an expletive in there. I think y'all can fill in the blanks. No, not even blanking close, Cardinals manager Oliver Marmel said when asked if another downturn reminded him of April when the team stumbled badly out of the gates to start the season. Quote, no, not close. It doesn't feel that way at all. In April, we handed over a lot of games in a lot of different ways. Pittsburgh beat us three straight days. All right, that's fine. And the margins were slim, but we've talked a lot about slim margins all season with this Cardinals team. And you know what's not slim? The amount by which they are below 500. It's 11 games. So there's nothing slim about that. Individually, these games, the margins have been slim. And you can look over the weekend in Pittsburgh. I believe the collective margin of defeat was a a total of four runs over three games. The Cardinals coming into tonight, I believe this is correct. My stats may be a little behind, but I believe the Cardinals were 6-13 and 13 on the season in one-run games. Add another one to the L total because they are now 6-14, and 14, as long as those numbers are right. Don't check those. But you, no, you can check me. I believe they're 6-14 and 14 in one-run games. Only the Padres were worse as of whatever day I looked this up a couple of days ago. That's where, that's where the Cardinals are. They're not doing the little things to win these close games. And when you're not coming through with runners in scoring position— when you are, as a starting pitcher, having to pitch around traffic, Wainwright, I mentioned it, 1.5 hits per inning, there or about. It's a little lower than that probably by the end of his outing today. And it's not like I, I don't have the, to pin this on Adam Wainwright. Like, he's pitching with what he's got. He's a grinder. He's a pitch maker. And he can go out there and give up eight hits and still keep the Cardinals in the game. Tonight was living proof of that. Gave up three runs. Got hit around and still found a way to only give up three runs and, and get you into the sixth inning before conceding over to the bullpen. Adam Wainwright's not why the Cardinals lost, but when you have that going on with your starting pitching staff, and it's not just Wainwright, I mentioned Michaelis is leading the league in hits allowed. And he's been good. I mean, generally, he's been solid this year, especially recently. But allowed 10 hits in his last start. Two runs, but when you're always pitching around traffic as a starting rotation. And Stephen Matz, Jordan Montgomery also three of the five Cardinals that are within at least the top five. There's some ties there for fifth, but basically the top five of the National League and hits allowed. One of those guys is not even in the rotation anymore with Steven Matz. When you have all of these things going on, here's my point that I'm getting to. You don't have the margins to be able to play with and and not do the little things. And right now the Cardinals aren't doing the little things. And that quote from Marmel where he says, it's not even blanking close. For him to use the blanking in that quotation tells you that He's fired up a little bit about the notion that there would be a comparison between the two stretches. When the team was bad in early part of the season, getting off to a 10-24 and start, losing eight games in a row, late April, kind of that early May timeline. And he says, this is different than that. We were giving away games in all sorts of different ways, and over the weekend, Pittsburgh just beat us. Fair. But tonight, they gave away this game. Plain and simple. And I am not saying that the guys in that clubhouse are just taking it as it comes. No, I'm sure it's not a comfortable place to be tonight, but like it shouldn't be. And I don't know what the thing is that can galvanize the troops. We've been kind of, we looked for it for a while when they were 10 and 24, like what's going to bring them together to make this thing go. And then for a while it happened and don't deny that it happened. Cardinals fans. I know a lot of you guys are frustrated and rightfully so, but you cannot tell me that 15 and eight over that stretch was not significant. That was more of akin to the kind of baseball we expect the Cardinals to play, but they did that. They did that 15 and eight. Now they've got to figure out a way to do it again because they're 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 spinning their wheels and heading in the wrong direction. It's problematic. I again, if you listen to B Shape Daily last night or found it on YouTube on Monday morning, talking about that Pittsburgh series, 
I said, guys, this is the first time that I'm not sure if they're going to get it fixed. Genuinely. I had been pretty confident. A lot of people gave me some flack for it and said, oh, Brendan is just, you know, he's a homer or he's just too optimistic, whatever. I tried to call it like I saw it. And now I'm calling it a different way because I'm starting to see the. it might just keep adding up to where it's not fixable. I still say the talent is such that it should be. I mean, this team should still win this division. But I've got to recognize at a point that you're 61 games into the season. You cannot fake that at this point. You cannot just pretend that 11 games under 500 is just a fallacy. No, it's real. That's the record. And so I can sit here all day. I can sit here all season and tell you guys the Cardinals have the most talent on their roster in the NL Central. That's all well and good. It's got to transform into wins at a certain point, or you are what your record says you are. There are no excuses at the end of 162. That's something Paul Goldschmidt said weeks and weeks ago when the Cardinals were still really struggling into that 10-24 and 24 start. I believe it was down in the clubhouse, and there were only a couple of writers in there. I think Jeff Jones is who tweeted out the quote. I believe Katie probably was down there as well. I, I, had, I didn't wait. <laughs> I didn't know how long it would take for Goldie to come down that night, and so I didn't wait. I had to get home. But Goldschmidt had basically, to paraphrase what he said, and it was worthwhile to track it down. I wish I could find it on the fly here. But to paraphrase what he said was that, like, you know, we still believe in this room. We've got the talent. But at the end of a six-month season, there will not be the, well, the ball didn't bounce our way and all these things, all these kind of platitudes. No, it's like you are going to be what your record says. Baseball, he said, is a fair game. It's a fair game over the course of six months. And right now, the Cardinals haven't played six months of baseball, but they've played more than two. And they are 11 games under 500. I mean, you're talking about the Royals and the Athletics are absolutely terrible baseball teams this year. And the Cardinals, their record's not as bad as those teams. But that's basically the only teams that are below you in Major League Baseball, give or take. The St. Louis Cardinals, the team that everybody's still kind of saying, well, I mean, they're the Cardinals. They should be. That's where you're at. So you got to have to kind of accept the reality at some point. And maybe that's the thing, you know, accept where you're at. And then maybe that's the thing that can propel you forward if you if you stay disciplined enough to fix it. But, like, just kind of pretending that, oh, we're just going to grit through it and there's no... I mean, it's a it's a problem right now. It really does feel problematic. I don't know what the fix to the funk is going to be. I'm intrigued to see what you guys might think about it. I'm going to jump right into the comments now, I say, after 24 minutes. And I apologize for the long monologue, but I haven't talked to you guys in this setting in a few days. And from that series and from tonight's game, had some things to get off my chest. couple of requests as I... Take a drink real quick here and get into the comments. Would love for you guys to like the stream. We're up to 26, which is cool. I feel like we've got more viewers in here than normal, which I really appreciate. Guys, if you're new to this, if you've ever read my content or listened to anything, would love to have you subscribe to this YouTube channel. It's kind of a, a new venture that I've been working on over the last couple of months. We have a lot of content here, whether it's a live stream, whether it's a podcast, you'll be able to get some Cardinals talk basically on a daily basis from me on YouTube or on Spotify with B-Shape Daily. So appreciate you guys for being here. Quick drink, and then we're going to dive right into your comments, you know, right directly in after 25 minutes, as they always say. I just realized I took myself off uh, off the screen to take my drink, but I got to show you guys what I'm dealing with here. This is uh, the, actually the tears of St. Louis Blues fans, uh, interestingly enough. No, it's watered down Powerade. Okay. Here we go. No blues jokes. If it was red, I would have said it was your all's tears. But it was blue, so that's the joke I made. All right. 
Ikta wants y'all to smash the like button for B-Shafe, and I kind of agree with him on that. Tommy says we can't get hits or runs in. Yeah, that's kind of a bad situation for a baseball team to be in, isn't it, Tommy? Can't get hits or, or get runs in. Um, and again, three for seven, isn't that what I said? Three for seven today with runners in scoring position. But when you're giving them up and you're having those those situations where you're giving them up on the bases with base running, oh, boy. I mean, you're just asking for trouble for a team that has had gone over their last 14, 15, whatever it was, coming into tonight. To give those up on the bases like that is brutal. And, again, that's a rare thing that you don't see from Tommy Edmonds specifically. Like, you'd think Tommy Edmonds a good base runner, a heady, savvy ball player. He's not going to make those sorts of mistakes, you wouldn't think. But, like, if he does it once every two months, and that's one that costs you a game— and then the other day when Gallegos, well, Gallegos hardly ever gives up a game. But when he does and that costs you another game, like if you pick a different player every day to have a gaffe, even if it's a guy that almost never makes those sorts of errors or those sorts of mental mistakes or or uh, lacks execution out of the bullpen, you can see how this mounts, right? And that's what I say. Where is the connected thread of this team that can come together as a team to be more than the sum of its parts. I think that is a great way to put this as well. The Cardinals right now are lesser than the sum of their parts. They don't feel like a cohesive team. And baseball is a team sport, and you've got individuals doing some good things at times. They just don't feel like they're ever on the same wavelength. And that's a hard thing to quantify. Like, that's that's honestly garbage analysis by me. Because, But I don't know how else to phrase it, guys. I don't know what else to say other than that. Because doesn't that just feel like it's, it's hitting the nail on the head for where this team is right now? That's what's tricky about this. Uh, B-Hack, what's going on? Uh, hopefully the, the sound is decent. I pumped it up so it could be a little louder. I, I'm trying to constantly uh, tweak the things I'm doing for you guys. Um, and if we if we mess up with the connection here, I'm going to be upset. Oh, don't do it to me. Do not do it to me right now, YouTube. I swear, man. Come on. Give it back. Uh, Robert says, every mistake we make, we're paying for. Yeah, that's not what you want. Oh, we're back on the stream. Love to see it. Come on, YouTube. Stick with me. Every mistake we make, we're paying for. Yep, I agree with that, Robert. It's just a situation where if you're not taking full advantage of your opportunities, the opportunities are going to happen to you, and the other team's going to say, all right, we'll scoop those up. And right now, it really does feel like every mistake is magnified. It feels like the car. It does feel like April. i got to disagree with Ollie Marmel on this. It feels like it did feel when they were 10-24 and 24 and it was like you'd get to the end of a game and it's like, oh my gosh, they might win a game. And that's not the attitude you want to have as a team because that gets into your mentality and it and it kind of causes you to freeze up and you don't really know what, it's just, it's not a comfortable place to be. To just feel like, oh, we're so close to a win. That is a bad spot to be in. I feel like it's where the Cardinals are right now and it's why every mistake gets magnified, by the way. I think there is some legitimacy to that. Uh, very clearly, the air from Cabrera's hand. Oh, man, hold on a second. The whole thing just jumped. Well, Einstein wanted to know when we're going to learn better about pointing at these fly balls. I swear, even if it is a pop-up, the pop-up ends up getting dropped. Other times, they point up in the air like it's a pop-up, and it's a upper deck home run. It will never cease to crack me up, the pointing at the home runs or the pointing at the pop-ups which I get it, like the, the pitcher's job is to kind of let the fielders know, but everybody sees it, right? Sometimes it's just like taking the attention off yourself. You think it's a home run. You're like, well, it's a it's a pop-up. Tonight it wasn't a homer, but I I don't I think it was Cabrera pointing again. It's, it's his thing. That's his move. Um, 
He says, very clearly, the air from Cabrera's hand moving was influenced the ball enough that it just missed Arenado's glove. Yeah, man, the pointing is probably what caused the issue on that play. It's a great point. Asher, appreciate the feedback on the stream. Looking good. Bird Calls says, we are consistently bad fundamentally. Until that's fixed, nothing else will make a difference. It's not, I don't think they're consistently bad fundamentally, but there's been a lot of bad fundamentals. They'll go for a week or two at a time where it looks good again, and then it just completely falls off the rails, and it's something that builds, right? One guy makes a base running gaffe, which leads to the next guy making a fielding error. Uncharacteristic of both of those players, Edmund and Arenado, and yet, how costly were those plays tonight? Very costly. And then the Mercado thing, I don't. I guess he the throw wasn't very good. He wasn't getting him out. Mercado has really kind of struggled of late, too, but the, again... He's your fourth, fifth outfielder type. Like, that's realistically the role he could, should, would be playing on this team. He's been pressed into more action than that. I feel like he is absolutely pressing because he probably knows, hey, I've got to do well if I want to keep a spot. Wrong mentality to have. It's like they're they're succumbing to some of that pressure as a team. Einstein has been impressed with Baker so far. Looks as advertised. He should be in daily. Throw him in there daily right now. I'm not saying he's going to be a long-term fit. Like, when Mercado was looking good at the beginning, what do we say? Hey, play him every day. What what can it hurt? Ride the wave while while it's there. I could not agree more about Luke and Baker. Glad they finally gave him the opportunity. But again, it took, I mean, Tres Pereira was here for a month and he had two at-bats. Two at-bats in a month of MLB action. That's just unbelievable. And again, I, I ranted about it yesterday. And so if you missed the, the B-Shape Daily Pod, you can go back. It was toward the beginning. It's a 26-man. We shouldn't have a lot to say about it. It's such a minor part of the team, but it was like such a, a fixable thing, or at least I'm not saying it's the fix. Luke and Baker's not automatically the fix, but like to try something that could obviously be better than having just a a paperweight on the end of your bench that you're not going to use. It's amazing that they took as long as they did to do it. Quick drink. I'll be right back. It's amazing, though. All right. Jumping back into the comments because I know you guys are bringing it hot and heavy right now. Uh, like the stream. We're up to 34. I know we can get to 40 because we still have 60 people in here. So I appreciate that. Do I see a large shift behind the scenes and attention to fundamentals of the game since Schilt was fired? Seems apparent from the outside. Wondering from my perspective. That's from Bird Calls. Listen, guys. Ali Marmel cares about the fundamentals. Um, and I would, I would say, man, there are elements of the game, that, especially stuff that gets covered in spring training. And, like, that's a lot of what the the sort of like fundamentals are about is what happens in spring training. They really kind of set the foundation for the season with a lot of that down there. And I would say that that's the kind of stuff that even under Ollie Marmel, I don't think is, has like fallen by the wayside. I really don't, but maybe there's some aspect too. If half your team is at the world baseball classic, I think it's absolutely fair that, that you could make a case that, well, they're just not all on the same page when they're not all at spring training to have that. We, we always have that constant debate every year of like, how valuable is or isn't spring training? I think that's where a lot of the fundamentals of a team, how about this, the foundation for the fundamentals are laid. And they, I mean, they didn't maybe have that advantage this year because of a lot of guys were gone. I don't know if there's any legitimacy to that or not, but I I know a lot of people are, are riding Ollie. The team needs a change. Ollie needs to go. Not all his fault, but some is. Yeah, I mean, Ollie needs to not, like, he needs to be himself, and he needs to be unapologetic about that because otherwise, if you're managing for your job or you're scared of losing your job, like, that's not the way he's approaching this, and I think that's correct. But I think at the same time, he does need to have an air of urgency to to win and fix it this year. It shouldn't be acceptable for anybody in this organization 
whether that's front office, field staff, players, nobody should be okay with this turning into a rebuilding year because it's not a rebuild. You're not ushering in young talent really on that level. You've got a bunch of veterans in your rotation. You've got a bunch of veterans and a couple of young guys in your lineup. This There's no excuse for this being a rebuilding year. That would be a completely false narrative. It would be a convenient one if the Cardinals tried to pedal it. I don't think they are at this point. But my, I'm just saying, like, they have to aggressively pursue getting this thing right. And when it is fundamentals that creep into the game, again, not every day does this happen, but a couple of errors on Saturday causing Jordan Montgomery to give up four total runs. Three of them were unearned instead of just the one earned run. Like, that's an aspect of this. Today, certainly, you you don't have to look far to find the fundamentals and where that costs the Cardinals. So, it's interesting. Bird calls, it's a fair question. You guys who are harping on Ollie, I get the frustration. I really do. Um, it's, it's just really difficult for me because I don't I don't know that it's just an answer of that. But listen, if this team loses 90-something games, like, I'm not going to be able to say, well, Ollie's doing a great job. Like, I think I'm giving him the latitude a little bit to to fix it, but they're two months in. And so I'm hearing you guys don't, you might not like my answer. I've, I've heard people say, Oh, I'm too soft on Ollie. I think Ollie is a good manager. I'm going to maintain that. Uh, I may end up with egg on my face at the end of the year, but I'm not, I, I, I can't afford to, I don't think be as reactionary as a lot of fans are, which is okay. Like that's the nature of fandom. And I appreciate that about you guys. And I don't have to question the passion of Cardinals fans. My question, you know, I talked about the connected thread and and is the passion consistent with this team? Like, are we seeing the galvanizing factors that that need to bring these guys together to make them more than the sum of their parts rather than less? I don't have to question your all's passion, though. I just, I hope that there can be some understanding of, I'm, I'm not just going to, it's going to take a lot for me to go, oh, I have to change my mind about this because, you know, I said one thing and now it looks like another. Like, I'm... I'm grounded in the way I view this team, but the last four days has definitely shaken that foundation of my opinion anyway, if that makes sense, because I was pretty confident. I mean, going into Friday, I would have been like, yeah, Cardinals probably take two of three. I just feel like they're continuing to move in the right direction. It's a matter of time before they trim that gap from four and a half to three and a half to two to one, and they're going to be right in the mix when you get to you know my birthday, July 1. That's kind of what I thought. Now, I don't know how you could argue that at this point. They're, they're moving rapidly in the wrong direction and, and need another jolt just to get back to where they were four days ago. That's a scary spot to be in. And so frustration, totally understood. If you're waiting for me to say, fire everybody, you know, you're probably watching the wrong live stream. But I hope that we can still be on, on the same page about certain things and, and come from an understanding place. Like, I get why Cardinals fans are frustrated and want to see people just completely canned and, and they want to see the pound of flesh on the floor and the heads roll and everybody wants that. Um, I don't know if that's the most productive way to fix this season. I don't, I honestly don't think it is. Um, there, there are veteran leaders in this clubhouse that need to do their jobs as well. That's kind of the way I look at it too. All he needs to be examining the things that are going wrong and you can't just say, Oh, the, the bounces will turn our way. That's what I think is important about this. And it's not to say that they haven't constantly been making adjustments just because he doesn't say it in a postgame presser and, and give you the exact rundown, the spark notes version doesn't mean those adjustments have not been happening. I think that's something important to realize, but I do think that there needs to be urgency behind those adjustments. The front office has kind of done the things that it can do in the short term. Though, is what's crazy. Now it took them a long, long time to bring up a, a capable 26 man for Tres Pereira, 
because that role, it wasn't about Barrera. Remember, it's just his role wasn't being utilized. It took him a month to figure that out. At this point, they've moved Libby into the rotation. We'll see him tomorrow. Like, they've done a lot of these things that Cardinals fans, I think, were kind of clamoring for. They've got injuries they're working through now. There's not a lot else for the front office to do in the immediate future. you got to let this thing go for a few weeks, and then you can talk about trade deadline. But if the Cardinals are 11 games under or worse, you're not going to – I mean, Moselak told Jim Hayes last week that this team was looking to add the deadline. They're going to be buyers. But, I mean, if you lose a bunch of games in a row – that's going to be interesting because I still think they should be buyers. Now, it shouldn't be like sell out for the right now. It should be buy with the long term in mind as well. Buying a pitcher that's under control for beyond this season would be great for the Cardinals and just the way their roster needs to be better organized. You could trade one of the starting pitchers that isn't under control long term, honestly, in a separate deal. John Mazalek needs to have an active trade deadline, though, is what that would mean. And I, and I mean, like at least two trades and probably a third one if you want to involve getting some relief pitching or, or maybe a fourth one if you want to add to the, the position player group. They need a mix-up. They need a shake-up. I don't know that they're comfortable with this losing. I don't think they are, but, I mean, make them uncomfortable by trading some guys. Like I, I don't have anybody off the top of my head, anybody on the active roster anyway, that I would say, oh, that's a guy you just need to move, get him out of here. I don't think that's the case. It's just they don't have the right mix right now is the way it feels, which – in a week, we could be looking at it differently. Cardinals win six of seven, and we go, oh, my gosh, this team is so fun. Look how they vibe. Look how they how they rally around Wilson Contreras. I mean, we've seen it before, but right now, it's just hard to remember the, those times existed because right now, the Cardinals don't feel like the vibe isn't that way is the best, most simplistic way that I could put it. Maybe that's maybe that's wrong to put it so, you know, so simply when it's more of a complex conversation, probably. But that's the way I look at it right now. Appreciate you guys. Subscribe to this channel on YouTube. I ask every couple of minutes. Subscribe for daily Cardinals content if you enjoy this kind of stuff. And let's get to, to 50 likes. We're at 42. We can beat that. I know we can. Einstein wants to know what happened to Helsley. Honestly, sound like he might not have been physically up to pitch in the ninth. Putting Cabrera in just seems so strange. I do believe coming up for that cabbie spot was like, Switch hitter, lefty-lefty or something like that, uh, Einstein, in, in terms of that decision. But, I think again, and I didn't hear the post game, so if Ollie had anything to say about it, I didn't hear it. I'm here, I'm on here with y'all and uh, and was getting this set up probably when they were airing that on TV. With Helsley, I mean, it's been a little bit, a little bit strange over his recent outings to where it wouldn't shock me if there was a little bit of something fatigue-wise, physical-wise. I don't know. Again, I'm not saying he's got an arm injury or anything. It, there just might be some fatigue or something going on there. Guys go through different periods throughout the, the season, and they might not be feeling up to 100%. And we know that that's a guy they've been careful with in the past, so I don't know the ins and outs of it. I don't know, though, that it was a, an injury or an issue with Helsley. It might have also been, you know, just a matchup thing with Cabrera. Or also, they might have looked at Helsley and said, okay, the way it looks, we, you know, we think that we want to try to, you know, get out in front of this whatever the case might be. Also, though, he pitched an inning. Like, 13 pitches is not a lot, but at the same time, if you pitch him another inning, maybe you burn him for the next day. Like, again, I don't want to speak too much on that specifically because I didn't see if anything was said about it postgame, but that's just sort of my thought process. It could have just been fine where, yeah, he looked he looked the way you wanted him to look as far as we could tell, and maybe that's just the inning he was going to pitch. The, ne the next part of it was matchup-based. 
the whole season is weird. That's from Corn. He's right. Uh, the league is kind of weird, too, all the way around. That's fair as well. South Sports says we'll be in the playoffs. Got to play 162. That's right, but there's, I mean, you've now played almost 62. So only about 100 to go. 101 left, right? Man, I just get hit in the eyebrow with Blues tears, Blues fans tears. Is the pitch clock, et cetera, just like a silent factor that's obviously talked about but affects different people in different ways? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's a silent factor. I think it's legitimately a factor. And it's costing the Cardinals. I don't think the Cardinals have adapted very well to it. Was it because they had a lot of guys at the World Baseball Classic didn't have to pitch with it? I honestly thought Gallegos would be one that would be an absolute disaster. Like, if you listen to B-Shape Daily back in March, I was kind of down on Gio, where I was like, I don't know if it's going to work out for him this year. And I was wrong about that for the most part. He's been pretty good. I know that recency bias, you'd say, oh, no, he was terrible the other day, and that's fair. But, like, I think about it from the starting pitchers, too, the fact that they were trying to just learn a new mode of communication with a new catcher, you're doing the pitch comp thing, Wilson Contreras is your catcher now. I don't really like the pitch he's calling, but I don't have any time to adjust it because we got 15 seconds. Like, I think everybody just feels a little bit rushed, and and you're you're not comfortable. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, if that's more of a factor than we've talked about, but we have talked about it. The other thing that I think is a huge factor is the ban of the shift. Because the Cardinals had an elite infield, and now it's like they've lost their, like the Monstars have took their powers. Even your elite gold glove caliber infielders like Edmund and Arenado aren't always playing as consistent defensively. It's weird to see that. But I don't know if part of it is lack of confidence because they used to be able to be put into the best positions. They felt really good about their defensive scouting and where they needed to be on the field, and now they maybe don't have that advantage as much. I don't know. I think it's an interesting factor as well, Corn. in addition to the pitch clock. Alec Manoa is broken. He was uh, related to the pitch clock. I don't know what Manoa's deal is, but he was terrible today. Um, Contreras in the cleanup spot with the way he's been hitting is tough. Yeah, I mean, Nolan Gorman had to have a day off eventually, and so that's kind of what it looks like. You bump everybody up a little bit. Robert, we kind of addressed the Helsley and Cabrera thing. I Again, I don't have a lot of insight beyond that, but... That's kind of what I already said about it. It's kind of the way I look at it. Joe says there's passion until they're down one run. Yeah, I mean, they've been the comeback kids before, but it just doesn't seem like recently they've got the ability or the vibes to 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 feel like they're still in it in those spots. Now, granted, they were down 3-1, to one, and then they did come back and tie the game. So tonight was an example of a comeback, but they, they didn't they didn't finish it off. Uh, Will says he's only late by nine minutes, which is great. But if that was a while ago, I definitely am behind on the comments. Uh, Rob said a bunch of weird moments as of late. It was the DeYoung drop pop-up. Yeah, that was another one that I didn't even mention yet between he and Arenado and the Edmund base running. And then Arenado actually dropping a pop-up of his own that ends up contributing to the winning run. Awkward stuff that stems from a lack of real confidence. And I don't know what the reason is for that lack of confidence, but Rob, I couldn't agree with you more. It's absolutely a thing at this point. I'm going to do something that I don't always do. I'm going to scroll to the bottom of these comments and maybe try to work my way up a little bit so I can not miss some of the guys that are coming in new. Um, we're 45 minutes in. I promise you I can't go longer than like an hour and a half tonight. So I want to try. And this is the thing that YouTube needs to needs to get on it. Um, now that we have 1,000 subscribers, I should be able to do like super chat to where we can really highlight some of the chats and stuff like that. But I haven't been able to sign up. Working on it. Working on it. Asher, the reason the chat is delayed by 15 minutes 
is because I talk for 10 minutes about one comment sometimes. And then, you know, it ends up, it ends up kind of getting me behind the eight ball, which is my own fault, but I'm trying to trying to dive into each and every comment here. But realistically, I'm going to end up having to kind of, again, when they have super chats as an option, there will be a way to guarantee that I see your chat. Um, but that's, that does come with a different level of support. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, Jason says, well, if folks want to see baseball where you don't feel as depressed, Jefferson City and check out the Renegades. This may be brought up on a mid-Missouri radio show. It may be. Check out the big show, 4 to 6 p.m., weekdays on KTGR. Rob says, guys slump and get unlucky, so having impact bats throughout is important. Replacing Albert with Wilson is not an upgrade or adding anything helpful. Yep. The Cardinals bet big on Wilson Contreras being an upgrade to the lineup, and he has been a black hole the last three weeks or so. Inexplicably so. I know he homered the other day. Other than that, though, he has been really struggling. And, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I'll pull up the Cardinals lineup again from tonight. He goes over with a run scored because of the error situation that happened. He's hitting 211 with a 654 OPS. I mean, that is rough. And Jordan Walker, I mean, his numbers are kind of low, though he did draw a walk tonight and score a run. You know, it's just, uh, it is what it is right now. But I agree. Like, Contreras was supposed to, in part, replace the production of Albert in the lineup. That was part of the plan, and he very much has not done that as of yet. Second in the league in hard hit percentage stat really grinds my gears. I don't know if I knew that stat, Corn, but that's something. Sean says he's defended Ollie, but it's getting hard. He's making excuses not owning anything. Getting hard to stay on his side. I haven't seen the excuses or what he said tonight, Sean, but I'll have to. I mean, if anybody's got quotes for me, I don't want paraphrase, though, because I want to speak out of turn. Don says that Marmel's a bad manager. Nothing else to it. The suggested record metric is 30 and 28. Well, I know that's not right, Don, because they played more than 58 games. Um, but, yeah, their record is supposed to be about 500 if you look at some of those those metrics and things like that. So that's fair. I, I don't know that it just means that Marmel's a bad manager. I think fans really oversimplify the manager role a lot of times, and I get why. I get it, but that's the nature of it. Asher wants to know if I would be opposed to starting to schedule the streams, like when I'm planning to go live, set it for whatever time, maybe an hour earlier. So, Asher, it's a good idea, and it's a it's a noble cause, and it's something that I would like to do. But honestly, I didn't decide for sure that I was doing the live tonight until like the final out of the game. I was like, all right, this is one that deserves a live. People are going to want to talk about this. And so it's a, it's kind of like that. Sometimes I just record the B-Shape Daily Podcast and I put it out on YouTube at 1 a.m. and it goes and, you know, people can watch it or listen to it that way. And so it's sort of one of those deals. But Asher, you're right. As I get more into a rhythm with these things, that would be something I'd like to do. Um, and like you said, all I would have to do is plug it in and look, I'll even show you. It'll look like this. Nice and pretty, just as a placeholder, just so you guys can can log right into it. All in time. I would say that is something that I would like to do. Yeah. Nefarious, what's going on, says when it rains, it pours. Seems like we have to play 100% perfect or else we lose. And they feel that. Don't they seem to embody that kind of mentality right now? If you're not perfect, you're going to lose. That's the way they're playing. They're playing like they know that that's true. And that's not a comfortable place to be for anybody. Ethan says, I wonder what post-game chats for Pirates fans are like. Just, I don't know what's happening, but this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, whoever the... Pirates version of of B-Shape Daily is those guys are having a lot of fun this year. A lot of fun for sure. 
Uh, Rob says uh, when it comes to the lineup, according to advanced numbers, Goldie is maybe the most unlucky hitter in MLB right now. It would be nice if they acquired another impact bat. Yeah, and, and I thought in the offseason it would be good to get another impact bat. They thought Contreras would kind of kill two birds with one stone, and that was, again, that was the bet they made. I don't know what Contreras' numbers are going to be at the end of the year, but I know what they are now, and I know that that bet is, is currently through two months a failing bet or two months in a week or whatever it's been, he's not adding to the lineup in the way that, that he needs to. I mean, he needs to have a 750, 770, 780 OPS to justify what what they paid to bring him in and the opportunity cost of what that money meant. When, I'm, when I say opportunity cost, I mean you're costing yourself the chance to then go sign somebody else to be just an impact bat regardless of position. And they tried so hard, and that... And it's not to say that I, I don't want to phrase it this way because it implies that the Contreras contract is automatically bad and he, you know, is a bad cardinal and all these things. I don't like to make those grand proclamations after two months. But what's interesting about it is if it goes down the way that it is, it feels like a square peg in a round hole where they said, oh, we just want so badly for this square peg to go in this round hole because wouldn't it be so nice? Wouldn't life be wonderful if it did fit? If the catcher who was on the free agent market and wants to be a Cardinal, also happened to fix our Albert Pujols-sized hole in the lineup and our Yachty's. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Two legends leave, and this guy can be both. Isn't that awesome? They so badly wanted it to be true, but is it? I don't know. Right now, no is the answer. And not because of anything he's doing behind the plate. It's because of the offense. He's at 650 OPS is not going to be it. So there's time, but that's what it is right now, folks. 45 likes, I know we can get to 50. I know we can do that. Uh, Ryan mentions that Bernie called the team the BlackBerry Cardinals because they cannot adapt. A reference to the BlackBerry, which I did not know we would be t- having a BlackBerry talk here on the on the pod. Jacob says, I think they need to go out and find an outfielder who is a steady bat under contract for multiple seasons and a vocal locker room leader presence like a Hunter Renfro. Couldn't agree more with that. I think it's a great point. I, but those guys don't grow on trees. I this is why I was hammering down the table for Brian Reynolds before the Pirates signed him to an extension. But at the time it was like here's the way the Cardinals think, honestly, and it's cost them. And I'm not saying it's like totally invalid thinking, but when they looked at their outfield they were like, "Well, Lars Newpar is a guy we're keeping." And that's right. That was the opinion that I shared as well and and we were on the same page, me and the team, about that one. But they said Tyler O'Neill's a guy that, "Wow, look at all this potential. We're going to give him a shot." And you can look at Dylan Carlson, where it's like, well, they didn't seem that high on him, but he's got good defensive ability. He's still only like 24 years old, so maybe he comes around. And, like, that's fair. I, I understand that. But you you can keep going down the list of all these. Alec Burleson, we think he's got some potential to be a decent bat against righties, and he makes good contact. Jordan Walker is a top prospect. You, I mean, you, five, six, seven names that are all kind of, you can make a case for any one of them if you really wanted to spin it in a positive way. And... Just the sheer volume of those names, the fact that they had so many of them, they figure, well, some of them will emerge. But what if, like, the mere fact that you had so many, and this happened early in the season. It's why Walker was sent down in the first place. In addition to they wanted him to to loft the ball more, they were worried about what the playing time was going to be delineated as. Like, if they were going to give him everyday playing time and he started to slump, then it's like, well, I mean, if this other guy slumps, we're not keeping him in the lineup every day. Like, they had to make bets. They had to push their chips in on certain guys. 
and they pushed their chips in on Tyler O'Neill. It's what happened. I'm just telling you, Cardinals fans, it's what they did at the beginning of the year, and they lost. They lost that stack of chips. It was a mistake. I mean, in retrospect, it was a mistake. You didn't know it at the time, for sure. You could look at 2021, and they were making the optimistic case about Tyler O'Neill, and they were giving him the confidence to say, hey, dude, we believe in you, so don't even have any doubt about yourself. You're our center fielder, and we believe that you can be that guy that you were. Well, he it didn't happen, and he's on the injured list, and who knows if and when he's ever coming back. Like, the Cardinals made that bet on O'Neal, and they lost. It's why when you have five or six guys that you could make a case for in your outfield, and then you have a manager and a front office that has to pick which ones are going to be, you can call it favoritism, you can call it whatever, which ones are going to be prioritized when it comes to the playing time because there is a finite amount of playing time and seemingly an infinite number of guys that could potentially fill it in that outfield. But none of them were Brian Reynolds. None of them. Maybe Lars Nupar ends up showing to be that caliber of player. But it's like, and again, Reynolds may not have been available, not to the Cardinals, division rival, ultimately Pittsburgh, which I think is good for the game of baseball that they kept him long-term. Having the homegrown stars stay with the team for a second contract is a positive thing for the game. In a small market like Pittsburgh, it's a, it's a, it's a refreshing thing to see happen. But like, a guy like Brian Reynolds, there aren't a lot of those kinds of players, but that's the Cardinals do need a guy like that. But the problem is they have to identify who that player is and then go get him and then be right. They have to be right. They identified that Tyler O'Neill was going to be the, like first in line for the shot this year. <laughs> Didn't work out, man. And it's not, I mean, wasn't producing really offensively, couldn't stay healthy was a, a square peg in a round hole when it came to trying to make him beat the center fielder. I never agreed with that part of it. But I understood why they wanted to give him regular at-bats. I just thought they should have done it in left field. But I understood why they wanted to back that horse because they thought there's a chance it could reward them. And uh, Tyler O'Neill didn't reward the Cardinals. They're now scrambling, right? They're playing Tommy Edmond in center field. They're scrambling, and this roster just doesn't have... You can frame it as versatility if you want. You can call it versatility. That sounds really nice. But the roster, man, just does not really have that cohesion to it. And that's the issue. I would love for you guys to like the stream. I appreciate that we're up over 50. 80 viewers, man. We don't have that all the time. So appreciate you guys for being here live with me. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel for daily Cardinals content. And I'd love to have you follow my podcast on Spotify. It's B-Shaped Daily. Check it out. Give it a five-star review over on Spotify. We'll take a quick drink and uh, try to get to as many comments as we can. Okay, diving back in. Make sure that volume is right. Yeah, there we go. Okay, Nate says, I cannot believe Pat Hoberg was the guy to get a perfect game as an umpire, but somehow he became bad this year. Ah, umpire talk is hard for me. I hear you, though, Nate. Early season issues were pitching and hitting. Then it was pitching and the cards gained a lot of ground because the hitting was doing better. Rob mentions. Then the pitching stabilized a bit and the offense went to shit and the team plummeted. Yeah, that's the thing. The offense right now is the problem. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. It's the offense. It's not the pitching. Relief pitching can be kind of spotty, but that's any bullpen, man. Bullpens are fickle. They're still going to have a middle of the road bullpen and maybe kind of on the high end of that is where they've been before tonight anyway. Starting pitching is is a question, but honestly, and I you can go back to even in April if you really wanted to, and you could go back and listen to me say things like, hey guys, 
in the middle of June and July, we're going to be talking about how the offense is the problem, not the starting pitching. Man, was that prescient because right now it looks true. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. Yes, I am. No, I'm more trying to say that it was predictable to see that if this team was going to have some trouble, the starting pitchers weren't going to remain as bad as they were. They're still not great. They're middle of the road, though. They have a middle of the pack kind of rotation, in my opinion. But this offense needs to be even better than it. Let me see how I want to phrase this. The offense can be really good. It can be a top 10 offense, and that can still not be good enough because the pitching isn't going to match them stride for stride. The pitching isn't going to be a top 10 unit. It's not going to be probably a top 12 unit. Pitching is going to be middle of the road. If you combine the starting rotation, the bullpen, it's going to be middle of the pack, which means the offense needs to be so head and shoulders better than even it's fair to ask them to be. They need to be a top five unit. I tweeted it over the weekend. If the Cardinals are not a top five offense, they're going to lose 85 to 90 games. They are. And they were top five a couple weeks ago. And then they slipped down to about top 10. And now they're probably not even that after a tough four-game stretch. So I still maintain that the offense is the thing. And the way they're constructed is the reason for that. The way they are built is to have this elite offense. Arenado, Goldschmidt, they paid for Contreras to be doing more than he's doing right now. When healthy, Lars Nupar is, is a bonafide leadoff hitter, and I and I believe in him. I, I believe that's true. Brendan Donovan can be kind of second in command on that on that whole deal. Tommy Edmond, I mean, I'll have to check his numbers now. Everybody's slumping, is which is what makes this a little tough. But Edmond, I mean, still 756 on the OPS. So he's still kind of, you know, treading water at least. DeYoung, I mean, that's the one bright spot from tonight is maybe I'm still getting that $1,000 from that Paul DeYoung thing. He needs a 750 OPS, and but I think he needs 400 play appearances, and I still don't think he's getting those. But two for three with a walk and uh, RBI today, so 830 OPS for DeYoung, and that's why he keeps playing every day. Gorman, though, is a guy that is has been even better than we could have anticipated I did say he would be an all-star, so get get those votes in to make me look smart. But like the offensively, they're they're five, six, seven deep of like really solid contributors when things are going right. But right now, doesn't it still feel disjointed? Like all those guys in the lineup, you feel good about them individually, but as a team, they are not they're not greater than the sum of their parts. It's kind of the opposite. I keep I keep kind of harkening back to that phrase. Felix says, shouldn't have to wait to lose 90 games. All he needs to go way before that. If by the All-Star game, you're still 10 games under, they should fire him during the break. The boss must be held responsible. What if I told you that Ali Marmel is not the boss of the Cardinals? I just think it's misplaced anger to fault Ali for trying to jam these square pegs into these round holes all season long when he's not the guy that bought the chessboard or the, you know, whatever kind of analogy you want. He didn't buy the game board. He was handed it and said, here, play with this. (laughs) Make it work. You know, I think, and again, Cardinals fans want to fire Mo too. So that, at least if you're saying that, you're understanding who built this thing. But that's when I also have to say, sorry, guys, if that's the way you feel, you're not going to get your wish on that either. Mo's not being fired. Mo will pick the day that he no longer works in this capacity with the Cardinals. The good news, if you don't like Mo, which again, I think Mo is, 2007, the Cardinals had a losing season. Mo took over, haven't had a losing season since. This season is definitely going to strain that potential record. You know, record. I don't even know if it's a record, but 
he's going to strain that legacy for sure because they've got a lot to fix if they're going to finish above 500. But John Mozeliak's contract runs through 2025. And by the end of that contract, he's not going to be in the role that he's in. I'm just telling you that now. It's it's going There's going to be a transition that happens. My prediction would be it would happen before the 2025 season, but it also might happen, like begin to take shape before the 2024 season. Because slowly but surely, it's not that Moe's, you know, going to fade into obscurity, but over time, you could see him kind of transition out of the role he's in so that you can have a, a smooth transition of power. That was everything that he talked about in February. This is not new information. This is, But what is new about it is that the losing season could expedite it. If that should come to pass, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if they say, well, we were going to do this anyway. Now we're sort of in this quasi-rebuild where we've got some issues to work through. It's not as clean of a transition as we wanted it to be because we thought we'd be a, a consistent playoff team. But say they miss the playoffs, I could see Mo and, and DeWitt deciding together that, hey, it would be better to just kind of expedite this process. We know this is coming, and it's not maybe fair to the organization to have somebody making these key decisions of how to take the Cardinals out of maybe a little downturn period if they all know and are in agreement about he's not going to be in the role long term. So that's kind of my thought process. This is just speculation, but it's informed by what we already know to be true about Mo's current contract. So I know that that was a comment from Felix about firing the manager, but I hope that whole explanation sort of adds some context as to why I don't necessarily believe firing the manager is the play. I, I think there's just a lot more going on with this roster and he doesn't make all of those decisions. Ollie Marmel's working within the confines of that, but he's not necessarily making every choice that brought the Cardinals to this point. It is his responsibility to galvanize the troops. He's the he's the boss on that field, Felix, for sure, man. But at the same time, he's not. he did not build this. He's the facilitator of this roster, but he didn't build it. And there are a lot of good things about this roster. There are some things about this roster that right now just don't seem to fit together. And it is Ollie's job in conjunction with the front office to try and on the fly fix that issue. Because right now it is kind of an issue, right? Uh, CJ does say the umpire sucked tonight, so that's part of it. Uh, Asher says, thanks for the explanation. The reason I get so heated, this is from Asher, about the Ollie topic is because it seems the media is always making excuses for this front office including Marmel within that. I mean, and it gives the perception of that you guys are rights holders. But yeah, you're right. Fandom is reactionary. And here's the thing about the whole rights holder thing. Like just because somebody works for a rights holder outlet does not make them a quality or does that mean they cannot be a quality, you know, journalist, person that covers the team, whatever phrase you want to use. Like they're just the, the outlet doesn't make the man or the woman. That's the way I would put it. And so I, I, I know a lot of these folks and they all have integrity to me. So I don't it's I don't think that's the whole buzzword of rights holder, I think gets thrown around a little bit too much. And people inherently fans are always gonna have that opinion of media. This is kind of my soapbox. But I think they're always gonna have that opinion because like Asher mentioned and like I have acknowledged, like fandom is reactionary and like that's y'all's role. I, I respect that role. But I I think fans expect media to be the exact same way and there are areas where we, where you can be and then there are areas where if you do it's like well you're going to tire yourself out you know kind of flip-flopping on a daily weekly monthly basis you evaluate I always want to analyze and evaluate what's actually going on 
I, I get predictive sometimes because fans love that stuff and they want to hear what I think might happen. But I got to acknowledge where I'm I'm wrong and I'm going to miss the mark all the time. But it's tricky because fans want you to be in that moment just as they are. And the reality is, and a lot of fans even, there are a lot of really intelligent fans. A lot of you guys are probably among that group. But one second. <coughs> Ooh, that was almost close. Remind me to edit that out of the audio uh, podcast for Spotify. A lot of fans kind of think the media are fans too. And they, you might not even believe me when I tell you, well, it's different. Like I used to be a Cardinal fan. Full disclosure, grew up in the St. Louis area. Like 2011 was awesome, dude. I have great memories of that. Senior in high school, David Freeze, that's great. Different role for me now. I view it very differently. Um, and people will say, well, how did that happen? I don't know. It just did. Like when I started... Covering the team, it you view it in a di- through a different prism is really the reality of it, and it's not fake. You might think I'm faking it, and I there's nothing I can say to convince you, but it really is a different prism. And I, you know, you can ask my wife. This still happens with Mizzou football. I'm a Mizzou grad. I have the columns on my back. Everybody knows that I'm a, a Mizzou guy through and through. Like when Mizzou loses, it still bothers me, which is why it's great that I'm just like a radio host that can talk about Mizzou in Columbia. Cardinals writer writing about the team, different role, d- doesn't bother me at all when the Cardinals lose. I, I'm not saying I'm rooting for them to lose because I know you guys want them to win. I want y'all to be happy. But, like, it's it's a, it's a just a very different thing. It, but fans, I feel like they would think, well, for a person that covers the team and you're around the team so much and you're constantly reading about, writing about, you know, talking about all these things related to this team, surely it bothers you if they don't do well. And it's like, well, it's just a different perspective. I can't. I can't say that I'm like immune to what it is. You notice when they're doing well, you notice, you notice and you can feel the vibes of it. It's just different. And so maybe that's part of the thing with everybody says, oh, how can you not think they should fire this guy, fire that guy? It's like, you just can't be as reactionary and you're not as compelled to be. I just don't, I don't have that, that, you know, that bone in my body to be like, oh, I mean, clearly this guy just needs to just hit the bricks. I think there, there's more nuance and there's more context to a lot of those things. Uh, Einstein wants the new cake batter cookie dough blizzard at DQ. Um, hard recommend, he says. You know, they're not a sponsor, but if they want to be, man, I would love to get DQ on board. Love me a good blizzard. John says big changes in hitting and pitching coaches. Skip leaving town. Schumacher, yep, to be the Marlins manager. And last year, Yachty and Albert. All this from last year, new people in this team, I think is it. John, yeah, I agree with you, man. I've talked a lot about that, too. It's a factor. It's a huge factor. I'll even add some more things to you, John. Um, you mentioned the hitting and pitching coaches. That's true. New bench coach, true. Uh, how about the fact that Holiday was going to be the bench coach and then realized maybe the scope of the duties and then backed out in January? At that point, you had to get Joe McEwing, which I think they lucked out to get Joe McEwing because, you again, you were a month or less before spring training. It was like three, four weeks away from Jupiter firing up, and you didn't have your bench coach in line. You know, how they put him in a bind with that. That being said, they got a good quality bench coach with experience, but like they didn't have the the runway, Ollie and his bench coach that you normally would have to really get on the same page. I'm sure they do a nice job and they have a good working relationship, but it's just, again, we're just talking about the factors that maybe worked against this team a little bit. And we talked about all the personnel. How about, and you mentioned the Yachty thing, the Contreras addition, it's a lot of pressure to put on Contreras' shoulders to fill those shoes. 
and they wanted him to be Albert in the batter's box too. Again, you look at the way they constructed. It's the only move they made on the roster in the offseason. They wanted him to fill two spots of two future Hall of Famers and do it in one body. Like, it's crazy to think that that was really, and they, they wouldn't say that if you asked them. They said, oh, no, you know, we know it's a, whatever they would say, synergy of a conglomeration of efforts of whatever, replace him in the aggregate. Like, they wouldn't pin that on Contreras in in their words, but, like, that's what they did. They only signed one guy, and they lost two legends. So that you do that math. But at the same time, how about the rule changes, John? And John H. brought up all those comments, and I want to add the rule changes to that because it has impacted the pitching staff so much, the pitch clock being one and the, the shift band being the other. Huge, huge, huge impact on the pitching staff. A decent, well-performing lineup would take Wayno's start tonight in four or five games for an entire season, and they'd be a World Series qual- uh, caliber team. That's from Rob, and I agree. That's the kind of – that's the uh, – I'll slow down. I'm getting over-animated. That's the team that John Bozalak built. If it's going to work, that's how it has to look. It has to look like pitchers pitching into the sixth but not out of the sixth, giving up no more than three runs, and the offense scoring five or six a night. That's how this Cardinals team was built, and it's not doing – one part or the other on a given day. That's it. That's the whole thing. We just solved it. Me and Rob sitting here just solved it. That's legitimately what it is, in my opinion. They they built this team to have that kind of lineup, and it's a big ask of a group that over the years has been good. You know, Jeff Albert led a top-five offense last year as a Cardinals hitting coach. Hitting coach does not lead the offense. I'm just kind of using that terminology. They were a top five offense in like run scored and a bunch of different categories, but the consistency wasn't always there. Well, that hasn't changed. New hitting, co- hitting coach, new whatever. It has not changed that kind of consistency issue the Cardinals have had in the past. They were built to have a powerful lineup on the regular, and when it's not happening, those Wainwright starts like you, did, like you get tonight, they can turn into losses more easily than you'd think. Quick drink, and then we'll be back into the comments. We're probably about 18 more minutes at most. I got to get out of here to get to bed eventually. This has been a bomb live stream, though. I appreciate you guys for being here, and appreciate YouTube for not screwing it up because I thought it was going to. And my laptop. That's the other thing. My laptop usually messes it up. Redbirds, what's on? What's going on, man? I'm I'm already like losing my ability to talk. I woke up at like 5.30 this morning and drove a lot today, played golf for four and a half hours outdoors, and last night the baby just would not sleep, full disclosure. Like two hours of sleep for both my wife and I. Uh, Rob says you're not going to play over 500 by scoring three or less every single game. That is the long and short of it. Agree with that as well. Um, Felix, appreciate you, man. I missed you too, Felix. Chris says after a five-run lead and base loaded, fail. Base loaded, fail. Fail and bases loaded. Fail again. Broke them and energized Pittsburgh for the sweep. The team seems shell-shocked. I agree with that, Chris. I think a lot of that is legit. If you come so close with those opportunities against the Pirates and then you don't get them, sets a tone for the series offensively. And they didn't have a, a hit with runners in scoring position the rest of that series. Chris was describing what happened on Friday in the 7-5 to loss. They they failed by kind of taking for granted that 5 five nothing 5-1 lead and they didn't get those other base runners home. They scored in one inning on Friday. That's the other thing. You can score five runs, and that's good to score that amount of runs. It's not a bad amount of runs inherently. 
if you only score in one of the innings in a baseball game, you're probably not going to win that game. Even scoring five, that's a big ask to just say the other eight, we're not going to do anything. Pitching, go, go, come on. We want to win five to four. Make that happen. That's a tough ask. You got to keep grinding those other innings. And the Cardinals on Friday didn't, and it set a tone for the weekend. It really did. Aaron says, if they're in last place still in mid-July, they should probably be trading anyone in their bullpen that will bring back prospects. And then uh, Montgomery or Flaherty, if they're looking good as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair. I can't think of a reliever that, I mean, maybe Palante. Palante is a guy that you might want to keep because he's got team control and he could be a starter. I'm thinking about the guys that could be future starters. Otherwise, like you're already kind of paying Helsley, you're paying Cabrera, you're going to, so I could, I mean, you could make a case that if, don't just do it just to do it because bullpens matter and the Cardinals should be, they should be winning in 2023, but if they're not going to, they damn sure should be winning in 2024. And so you don't want to like say, we're going into a rebuild, we're going to sell everybody. Like, some of these guys are under team control, and, I mean, Bill has got the money, so they shouldn't slash payroll or anything like that just because they're having a bad year. So, I generally, I would say trade more of the Montgomery's and the Flaherty's because if you're actually out of it in mid-July, you've got short-term assets that you could move, and Montgomery and Flaherty would be at the top of the list. And uh, we'll see about Tyler O'Neill if he's healthy. He's got one year of team control left for next year. But there are other names as well that would maybe fit that. But I'm thinking more of the short-term assets if you did go the trade route. Scott says, before the game, I saw a note that said scheduled day off for Gorman after having two days off last week. I don't care a left-handed pitching is starting. He's got to play every day. No, Scott, he doesn't. He doesn't have to play every day. Uh, having just a, a scheduled day off is fine. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to agree with you on that. Even with the two days off last week, that's, that's baked into it as well. He had been playing a ton because he's probably their best hitter this year, Hammer Goldie, and uh, and so he he still deserves opportunities to to rest and and you know I'm not gonna not gonna get on him for that. Redbird says we get runners on, we get base hits here and there, but can't get the ones that matter. Aaron wonders, and Redbird's not to gloss over your comment. Uh, you, I mean, you're correct. That's a good assessment. Aaron says I wonder what this team could get in a trade for Edmund. With the control that he has, he might be the best shortstop on the market if available. Yeah, but what if that's true, why would you want to trade Tommy Edmund? He's helping you win games is the theory. And I get it. You say, well, Mason Wynn. I'm telling you, just putting all your eggs in the Mason Wynn basket is a little dangerous. Jordan Walker is the top prospect, and he's struggling at the big league level to hit right now a little bit. So it's not automatic that these guys are great. Bird in the hand, better than two in the bush. I don't know if this is applicable. Sometimes my analogies get the better of me. Tommy Edmond is a player that helps your team win, and so he is under team control. Other teams want him for the same reason that you as a Cardinals fan should want him. That's my point. Now, with Tommy Edmond, if it ends up being, you know, him or Donovan is a guy that a lot of teams would want for the same reason the Cardinals should want those players and should value those players. But if you're getting a legitimate ace and not having to give up a lot beyond those guys, which I don't know know how realistic that is then I could see the Cardinals having to kind of make a decision on that but I am not going to advocate trading for Edmund or trading away Edmund or Donovan I just don't think that's you're again you're not you're looking to trade those guys I think you have the wrong mentality if you're looking to do it if you're getting engaged in conversations and saying we want this ace pitcher and the other team says well this is who we want 
then you have to make a tough decision about that. But don't go look into, ooh, I wonder what we could get for so-and-so. I don't look to subtract bad players from my team. That's just me. I said that wrong. I don't look to subtract good players from my team personally if I had a, a say in it. Jermaine, hello. Do you think there's something going on in the clubhouse? Are we really this bad? It feels like a Black Mirror episode that goes on for six months. It does feel like that, Jermaine. I don't, is the new season of Black Mirror out? I think it's coming close. If it hasn't already dropped, it's getting close. Um, I don't know. Jermaine, I don't think there's anything like any smoking gun about the clubhouse, but I did say earlier in this show that I kind of wonder where the galvanizing factor is. What's the thing that brings this team together? They feel like a bunch of individuals playing right now rather than a team. They don't feel like they are greater than the sum of their parts. They kind of feel lesser than at times. The sum of some pretty good parts, but the parts just don't all fit together. And the personalities, maybe, I mean, for a while it was hamburger phone. And that felt maybe a little superficial, though, and maybe that's the problem. Like, they need to they need to gel on that higher level or that lower, you know, that, that interior level, perhaps. I don't know that there's anything going on in the clubhouse, Jermaine, but I do think that there is a a vibe check that needs to kind of be adjust the nozzles a little bit to get these guys on the same page. And maybe that's not a fair thing to say. I hate to, I hate to critique or speculate about things like that because those, those can be personal in nature and, and uh, you know, you, you shouldn't do that just recklessly, but I do say the way that they play on the field, you want to think that they can, they can establish the vibe of what it looks like when a team is going well and winning. And maybe the answer Jermaine is simply winning cures a lot of those concerns. You may not have to, uh, and again, not saying that guys in the clubhouse do or don't like one another personally, but you know what? There have been famous Cardinals teams in the not-too-distant past, the past 20 years, that maybe they didn't all like each other, but they won a lot of games, and they really liked that, didn't they? And so it's not always the most important thing to be all lovey-dovey with your teammates. I don't think there's anything in clubhouse, though, that I could point to and say, oh, that's, you know, that's the problem here. And that's maybe the weird part of it all, like, there is no smoking gun that I've got a hold of that, hey, this is why the team just can't seem to to live up to its potential. That's what's frustrating is because there's nothing obvious right now that's explaining it, other than like everything that we've talked about, which is is good analysis of what's going on with the team, but it's not it's not just one smoking gun to say, yep, this is it. This is why they stink or what you know, whatever it is. Aaron says the whole thing about them not being able to get everything working at the same time. If every part of your team has to be working optimally for you to stay above 500, you're not a good team. Hey, that's fair too, Aaron. I'm just kind of talking about when you're looking to win a game, it's, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, Aaron, but I also don't think, I, I also don't think we're saying things that are all too differently. Um, like you do need parts to be working in tandem. On the days your starting pitchers do well, your offense has to get enough, still has to get enough runs to make sure that you don't waste that and vice versa. When the offense or, or when the pitching doesn't do well, you, you the offense has to pick them up sometimes or you just happen to lose every game that, that you don't get a great start from your rotation. I, I think it's important to have all elements of a team be good at, at given times and for those things to work in tandem from time to time, I do think is important. I get what you're trying to say, Aaron. I just don't think... Like, I don't think what you say and what I say has to be mutually exclusive. I think they can both be true. Uh, Chris says a lot of disappointments throughout the team so far. The Nationals won the World Series after being 13, 13 games below 500. That's true, but I don't know if they were 13 below this late into the season. 
I also don't think they won their division that year. I could be wrong about that. There was a stat through 50 games that the Cardinals were dead even with the record that like the 05 Astros and maybe the Nationals, this applied to them as well. Through 50 games, it was like, I don't know if it was 22 and 28 or whatever it was. The Cardinals were matched with that of the teams that have come back from deficits through 50 games to win the division. And so it looked good for a while as they were trending in the right direction, but now they've they've obviously backslid, and uh, that's not the situation right now. They're, they're clearly moving in the wrong direction. So I don't really know what the historical precedent is, but I can imagine it's not great. Cardinals would like to see Mo go, the front office. Okay, I, I mean, again, oh, it's dumbest it has ever been in franchise history. Well, yeah, right now they're not making a lot of the great decisions that you, you feel like they've got their finger on the pulse. Maybe the finger is not quite on the pulse right now. Dumbest in franchise history is is a little hyperbolic, but I hear you. Okay, I want to try to find a couple more comments here before I get out of here. Thank you guys so much for watching this, by the way. 61 likes is pretty good. Can we get to 69? Wouldn't that be nice? I, I mean, or neat, whatever the kids say. Um, Brendan L., spelled correctly, says, when do we just admit the team isn't good? Well, I don't know. If we did that, the podcast wouldn't be very long. So I'm not there yet. James, I will not share your thing. For James to have the same last name as me spelled the same and be a KU fan is just, man, that hurts. I will not talk about the rocks or the chalk. How about that? Will says, if you really believe you have the talent to win the division and you're getting the results that you're getting, that means the ones managing the talent don't know what they're doing. Yep. I mean, again, that's a, a fair assessment to have. Through 61 games, it does kind of look look like they're having some issues on that front, Will. I still say the ones managing it have earned the equity to to try and see that through beyond just 61 games before you tear it down. But there should be some reckoning at the end of this season if it continues going this way. But I, I, I first of all, I think Ollie's a good manager, so Ollie deserves the chance to kind of work through that, in my opinion, after having a good season last year. More than that, though, like for John Mozeliak to continue being the one carrying out these decisions and whacking managers willy-nilly like they did with Mike Schilt, and then and then hiring the next one and not, I mean, then there's no recourse if he does it again? Like, no, I think at a certain point, you got to keep the manager's job just because if you don't, what does that say about the guy that hired him, right? Granted, this is all hypothetical from my perspective. I don't believe the Cardinals will or should fire the manager necessarily, but that is part of the thought process as well, right? Well, Mo, Mo put all this together, and so what would it say if he were allowed, like if ownership said, oh, it's fine, fire another manager, like it was already kind of tumultuous when they fired Mike Schultz. People around baseball were going, what's going on with the Cardinals, man? That's a little, that's not very Cardinals-like. They are, they're usually the model of consistency. Firing another manager. This is a the guy they picked to to replace the last guy. I, I just would not be a good look. And so I think you've got to, especially if you did it mid-season after a year and a half. I mean, that would be Armageddon in terms of the way the Cardinals historically operate. Kid E says, sorry, but the Cardinals just aren't good. At some point, you are who you are. Yep, a lot of people feel that way. I hear you. 
Robert says, who cares if I'm overly critical? They deserve it. I mean, I'm not afraid to be critical. I'll say things that are critical. I also am not going to just do it, though, to be bombastic if I don't believe it. I'm going to tell you the things that I believe. It'll either be critical or it won't be, but it'll at least reflect the way I actually view the team. And if you don't think that's right, I, I'm sorry, I, but I, I'm not, I'm, I don't apologize for the things I say because I, I really do strive to say what I mean, mean what I say. Kevin says Tommy was not held up. The windmill was humming. <laughs> Bad running all around. Yeah, Kevin, I think Tommy just, he got crossed up in his mind. And again, when things are moving that quick and you are afraid to make a mistake, freezing up, you, he who hesitates is lost, right? That's the phrase. For whatever reason, he had it in his mind, whether he got spooked by Arenado behind him or Gorman in front of him. Something spooked Tommy Edmond to make him not just do what was instinctually the right play. And boom, after that hesitation, then he was literally lost after hesitating. It reminds me, uh, not the exact same, but Tyler O'Neill. Remember the fifth game of the season when everybody, oh, he wasn't hustling, all this stuff. Yeah, maybe he wasn't hustling. I don't know. It's not in vogue to defend Tyler O'Neill right now, by the way, but... I will say that that night, in hearing this explanation, I just saw the face of a man and heard the voice of a man who was in his head way too damn much. Was thinking, overthinking every little thing, and none of it made sense. I don't think he was being lazy and dogging. I think he was in his head. Tommy got in his head tonight. I think they're comparable. Those two plays, comparable in that way. Maybe nobody else sees it that way, but that's kind of how I view it. Asher asked if there's a chance Marmol gets fired. Say we lose the next eight in a row. I mean, to to think about how ugly things would be if they lose eight more in a row, because then it would be like 12 in a row because they won the last game before the two-day break against the Royals. So three against the Pirates, one here, that's four. Eight more would be 12. Again, Asher, it's not impossible that they would. Um, And that's kind of what I went back to saying when they they lost eight in a row the last time. I said, guys, I wouldn't fire the guy, but I, I can't like be the ostrich. Isn't it ostriches that kind of like put their head in the sand? Whatever bird does that. I can't be that bird and just pretend like it's not a possibility um, because at, at, something, at a certain point, something's got to give. Um, but the Cardinals, you know, they were guided through that period. And then in retrospect, it was like, oh, they were never going to fire Ollie. That was not the thing. Uh, the thing they decided to do instead was not have Contreras be the catcher, which I don't know if that was related to the issues they were having or not. It was the scapegoat reason that they came up with. But, like, that was the big move that they made. What's the big move now if there is one? Or is it just kind of steering through the eye of the hurricane a little bit? I don't know the answer to that. So, Asher, I'm not going to say there's no chance, but I wouldn't call it a very high likelihood. I would be very surprised if that time should come. And, you know, I wasn't that surprised when Mike Matheny got fired. I was definitely surprised when Mike Schilt got fired. Granted, the timing of that was after the season. And I was fully expecting like Jeff Albert to get fired or something. Not, you know, I thought they'd do something. I didn't think they'd can the manager. I, th- if this were to happen, it would absolutely take me by surprise. I do not expect it. Do not expect it. And I'm not advocating for it, for the record. Uh, Anthony, what's up, man? Be safe, man. The Mariners got Teoscar Hernandez for Eric Swanson. How do we not make that move? Need to make more pop in the lineup. Not even mad that it's Wayno expected for the fifth starter. But the lineup, man. Oh, man, my mouse is crapping out on me. Anybody got double-A batteries? I need, I need some double-A batteries. Um, Anthony, you mentioned the Teoscar Hernandez trade. 
I don't think it was just Eric Swanson, was it? That was uh, back in November. Eric Swanson. Uh, Pitching prospect Adam Macko was also in that deal. But yeah, that was, I mean, Anthony is a good point, or James, whatever you go by, bro. (laughs) Killing me with all your names. Um, That deal... You know, I I guess you could make a case that the Cardinals could have been in on something like that. I'll just say the way those deals come together, when Jerry DePoto was involved, I, in my head, think of Moselock and DePoto as just like mortal opposites, not enemies, but opposites in the way they conduct business. Because DePoto is never afraid to make a bad trade because he knows that the way to make a great trade is to make the next one. You just got to make the next trade. And so it's never going to bother him. He's never going to lay awake at night thinking about the the bad trade that he made. He doesn't let it keep him from making the next one. You cannot tell me that there has not been a little, at least a little bit of that gun shy factor creeping in for this Cardinals front office under Mosellock. It's happened, man. They've made some moves that have come back to bite them. And I believe it has colored their thinking in future moves and, and in an element of indecision on some of these moves. Because they've had the opportunity maybe to make some moves, but they didn't want to give up too much or they didn't want to. They're making trades when they absolutely have to, and it's going to be a small potatoes kind of deal where they can stomach giving up an Oviedo or they can stomach giving up a Malcolm Nunez. You know, they, they needed pitching at the last deadline. They can stomach giving up a Harrison Bader, even if they like the guy, if they like his skill set, because they go, well, we're probably not going to sign him long term anyway. We've got all these outfielders. We don't have pitchers like Jordan Montgomery. Let's go get him. Like, those are the circumstances under which Mo will make a deal. And, the you know, the Monty deal is decent. Like, Bader hasn't been able to stay healthy. Maybe he would have thrived with the Cardinals if he had been here this year. Maybe he wouldn't have. We'll never really know. So I'm not saying every trade that Mo makes is bad, but I'm saying I definitely think the creative ones, like you mentioned Teoscar Hernandez, the creative deals, man, it's... I think the Cardinals need like three or four of those kinds of created deals. MLB for MLB or swapping out a short-term asset like a Montgomery and then getting a long-term pitching asset like a Cease. Like it's like a, there's a bunch of moving parts that could happen. I just don't know if it's most strong suit to execute all of those in a July trading period. That's going to be chaos. I mean, it is. The trade deadline is always chaotic, even if you're not involved. Whether you are or not, it goes on without you, right? So... Can they make all the moves that they need? It could happen. I'm not predicting that it will. I also think the type of thing that Mo and the Cardinals would tend to do to themselves is talk themselves out of doing it because they're too far out in the standings. If they're 10 games under, well, you can't very well just, you know, make all these trades. For, but what they should realize is you can make them for the future. Just because you you are or you aren't in the mix at a, at a July trade period doesn't mean you shouldn't be planning and constantly trying to make your team better for the short and the long run. So, man, I think we've gotten most of these. I'm going to I'm gonna read Will's comment. Wayno is Wayno. We know what to expect with him. Long in the tooth, low in the velo. We've watched it. The lineups that Marmol keeps shuffling out there aren't going to get done. Again, I, I don't get the Marmol lineup thing. Like, dude, he's got three outfielders on the injured list. These are the players that he's got. Uh, the order that he puts them in is almost inconsequential doesn't matter it really doesn't in the grand scheme to me 
I get it, but I'm not looking at Marmol's lineups and calling. Dude, they, one through nine, they got to bat somewhere. Are they hitting or not? I don't care where you bat them. It's fun to talk about, but it's when you're when the team's losing like this, it ain't the lineups, dude. You can pull them out of a hat, and and it's not going to make a difference at this point. They're either going to hit or they ain't. Einstein says Mo would be going off like, quote, this Tyler O'Neill guy needs to stop being a baby. What? I don't know what I missed, but I don't think that's real. You guys are doing like fake quotes, and I must have missed it. Allison said, thanks for the daily insight. Appreciate you, Allison. I don't need to read the uh, the full very nice comment. But uh, yes, Allison, appreciate you bugging me about Patreon too. It's going to happen. We'll get a Patreon thing going tomorrow. I'm going to try to set a reminder on my phone right now, actually, to think of some cool things for Patreon. Appreciate you doing that. How? What would be the best way to remind myself? If I text it to my wife, then I won't miss it because we always text. Okay, there we go. Allison, the Patreon note has been made. Uh, Anthony slash James slash Jones says, just me personally, I would have traded Helsley for Teoscar in a heartbeat in the offseason, and the Mariners gave up Swanson. Man, I don't even got to give up Helsley. Yeah, um, that's the other thing. That's the kind of trade that Mo doesn't make. The kind of trade where the asset, the player, the talent, is at its highest value, right? Helsley probably had a pretty high value after the season. Well, maybe not because of what happened against Philadelphia in the wild card series, but that was a minor blip. He had a really good all-star campaign. Think about Alex Reyes the previous year when he was an all-star. At that deadline, the Cardinals were kind of in, out of the mix uh, for a playoff spot. They ended up making it, obviously. But at that point, if you had traded Alex Reyes, man, you were going to get a haul for him, or at least like a solid couple of prospects. He's an all-star closer like a week before that. You trade him. Now, should the Cardinals have traded him? In retrospect, it's easy to say yes, but they were trying to win, and they did make the playoffs, but that happened to be the year that Alex Reyes gave up the home run to Chris Taylor, and you lose the the wild card game. So in retrospect, it's easy to say because you go, well, they didn't win anything anyway as a result, and they could have got some pieces, and then Reyes got hurt, and so nothing ever came of it. Mo does not seem comfortable making those types of trades where you're, you're basically betting on the guy that you have that's on your team to never be more valuable than he is in this very moment. And and now it's time to capitalize on it. I cannot think of a time where the Cardinals have made that trade, where the Cardinals have made a move like that in recent years, where it's a clear sell high, or it's a thing where it's like, Oh, we're going to sell this guy while his value is high. His value could also get higher though. That's what the Cardinals always think. It's like, it's like that fear of, I can't end up, making the wrong move. And by having that mentality, I feel like they do nothing and they don't think outside the box, which is not me saying they should have traded Helsley for Teoscar, but it is the type of move that does take a little bit of outside the box thinking and you might get criticized for it in the moment. You might not win the off season in terms of your fans loving a trade because maybe you traded away a fan favorite, but you got to have conviction in those types of moves. DePoto does those kinds of things. And I'm not calling DePoto like the pinnacle of success. The Mariners had a good year last year, made the playoffs, right? John Mozeliak hasn't ever had a losing season. So it's always the grass is greener on the other side, right? But to legitimately look at what Mo has done, I think he, I think he deserves props from Cardinals fans. I really do. But we can look at the modernized way some of these other GMs are, are operating, and it's a different space to kind of exist within. And, and, you know, I don't know how comfortable Mo always is within that, if that makes sense. Uh, can and will it be Gersh that transitions in the front office? 
transitions to being in charge or transitions to not being on the in the org. I don't know which you meant by that, Sean. Um, I think it'll be Gersh or Randy Flores that takes over, one of the two, if I had to guess. And we've got time for that because it's still probably a year, two and a half away. Who knows? But that's my thought. Uh, Labor88, I see you being tagged, but I've missed some of your comments tonight if you made them. Uh, and so I apologize for that. Has anyone addressed the awful throw home at the end of the game? Yeah, yeah I mean, Mercado it was the throw there, right? And Labor says if his arm is that bad, he should never be in the outfield, even as a substitute. Beggars cannot be choosers, folks. Like, you got Newt Bar, O'Neill, Dylan. They're all on the injured list right now. It's just rough. Um, so that's part of it. Andrew says, go Miners, big S&T guy. There you go. Good old Rolla. Uh, Ethan wants to be glass half full because the last 15 years has been uh, pretty decent. But with no true ace, I don't know if the Cardinals can win a World Series with Goldie and Arenado as the best players. Yeah, it would help to have an ace to get you through some playoff series, wouldn't it? But the, the offense has to show up in October. Like, this Cardinals team has the players that if they showed up in October, they'd be legends for it. But it just, will it happen? Will it get a chance to happen this year if they, I mean, they, they have to make it first. So, Anthony says, I do a good job, a phenomenal job, in fact, of breaking down the game and giving honest takes. Don't agree with every take, but trust me, he's nowhere the worst. Oh, come on. One of the guys, one of the only guys with the podcast daily for the Cardinals. That is one thing I am is prolific. I'm always here, guys. So if there's anything that you want to say about me, it's the fact that I'll be here. Um, it is a lot of work. We're hoping to build this up, though. I got a vision for it. and appreciate you guys being along the ride with that. Uh, but no, my guy, Anthony slash James slash Jones, stop trashing local media. They're all good peeps. Uh, Redbirds wants to start Lucan in the five spot for a few days, and I agree. Let's see it. CJ says it should have been a three-to-one win. If Hoberg got the calls right, man, we're giving Pat Hoberg a hard time. It's hard to blame something that happened in the second inning, though, and say that's what changed the whole game. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, there's plenty of chances later for the Cardinals to bounce that back. Um, Will says that TLR was the manager when that changed. Everything changed with this team. Uh, okay, I, I, sure, but like 2012, playoff team, 2013, NLCS. Um no, World Series made the World Series in 13, made the LCS in 12, playoffs in 14. I think they won a series. Was that the Matt Adams year against Kershaw, I believe, potentially? Could be wrong about that. Um, 15, you know, that was the 100-win season where when you get beat by the Cubs in the playoffs in 15, then you start to recognize, uh-oh. And then they had three years of missing the playoffs. I mean, that was that was some dark times, but they were always kind of in the mix, and so they it took them a while to fire Matheny because of, they were always kind of still there and around. Uh, Mike Schilt, man, he did. He brought back a legit style of play, and I can understand why Cardinals fans are pining for that, but I don't think Ollie Marmel is anti those things. He's just got to get the fundamentals from this team. And if he doesn't do it, yeah, eventually he is going to lose his job. Um, but I, I still believe that he can find it for this group. Does Mo tell Ollie how to manage the pen, or are those bullpen mistakes due to Oliver's decision-making? I don't know what bullpen mistakes are made. Here's the thing, Ryan. Every time a Cardinal reliever gives up a run or gives up a lead or gives up a tie game, Cardinals Twitter, Cardinals YouTube commenters, Cardinals fans will say, Ollie, see, this is proof Ollie can't manage the bullpen. What y'all got to realize is those relievers all have an ERA for a reason. If they didn't, it would just be zero. Everybody's ERA would be zero. Relief pitchers give up runs too. 
it's not always the manager's fault. Oftentimes, it's the guy throwing the pitch. And so I think Cardinals fans, no matter what happens, are going to say, oh, man, the manager sucks because the guy in the bullpen didn't do his job. There are times where the guy, the manager can make a better decision to put guys in a better position. But at the end of the day, they got to go out there and pitch. So I don't find it as, I know it's like a very en vogue kind of thing to do to blame the manager for every time a bullpen guy screws up. But just saying. Oh boy, we are definitely getting near the end here, folks. I am losing my uh, losing my steam. B. Shafe is a Swifty confirmed. Uh, sure, I can never afford to go to one of her concerts, though. I am going to go to Luke Combs in a couple weeks at Bush. If you guys are there, you can buy me a beer. No, I'm kidding, but I, I'll, I will say hello to you if you go to that concert. Um, we got Jason thinking O'Neill needs to be dealt. I think if you could get a decent reliever for O'Neill, if he's healthy enough to to have another team interested in that, it's not a bad call. Uh, Redbirds didn't like the move from, of Tyler to center field, which I think is a reasonable criticism there. And the Cardinals outfield has been a log jam for years. Yes, yes, it has been. And they just can't figure out a way to solve it. Um, Ollie is just told what to do. So back on that comment about who manages the bullpen. I mean, Ollie manages the bullpen. And I think he does get to make those decisions. Moselak gives him the players that go into the bullpen. And they kind of have those conversations about what roles are. But I think Ollie is, is entrusted to to make the, the pitching decisions. Yes, he's not. There are things that the front office does that impact what Ollie can do. The Contreras thing, that was not Ollie Marmel making a decision. Like, you know what would be fun to do with our $87 million catcher? Let's put him in left field, which they never did, but they said they were going to do. Insane. But, like, that wasn't Ollie Marmel. If you've got ire about a decision, you're unhappy about something, at least direct it in the right direction. Bullpen calls, yeah, it's pretty much going to be the manager, but it's all in cohesion with what the front office and their vision is. Uh, not to beat an already dead horse, this is from Don, but if we had a veteran manager, do you believe we would be as bad? It'd be different. It would be different. A veteran manager, it's not like a veteran manager because I think Cardinals fans get caught up in they need a proven winner. They need a, Mike Schilt wasn't a proven winner, and he did a really nice job. Mike Matheny, I don't think, was a great manager, certainly was not a proven winner, but, I mean, his his career managing record with the Cardinals was really good. Never did have a losing record. So, I don't think you need a veteran manager necessarily. Different clubhouses respond to different things. Bruce Bochy is doing a great job with the Rangers this year. But that that's not to say that, like, a, a young manager or a rookie manager couldn't do something similarly or couldn't have success in another clubhouse. I think Ollie is a good fit for the Cardinals, but when things are going wrong, they, you know, he and the Cardinals don't lose well. They're not finding, they're finding that they don't lose well. It's tough to lose for a long time. And I think that would be true for anybody, but you can see, you know, they're kind of grinding their teeth about these losses. Hunter, what's going on, brother? Says, what the hell is supposed to be my bridge to football? Because his team makes me want to find a bridge. Well, don't do that. There's a hotline for that. Take care of yourself, folks. But I get it. It's frustrating to watch right now. Contreras is one of the good ex-WOBA, bad actual WOBA guys, probably due to how he never seems to pull his barrels or yada yada. We're getting into the real nitty-gritty now with Einstein. Okay, I think I've read most of these comments. I completely did the thing that I said I wouldn't do, which was uh, go an hour 45. 
uh, yeah, Dylan, everyday Dylan is going to be getting his rehab going. It couldn't come soon enough because even the guys like Mercado that, yeah, okay, they can't hit, but we'll put them in the outfield because we need the good defense. Well, now they're playing poor defense. You know, Mercado had a bad throw. He's he he can say go to home run over the wall with his glove the other day, a couple weeks ago. Um, I like Mercado. It's just, you know, it's not going that well. So, yeah, they need Dylan. And uh, as Tommy Edmond is apparently a center fielder now, so that's a thing. But I, I think still I would prefer Dylan out there, and you could put Tommy in a corner if you still have the, the spots while Newt Bar's out. Um, but I would love to see Dylan get back and, like, be a, a force at the plate. What will be really disappointing is if he comes back and he kind of loses the luster that he was kind of picking up at the plate, that would be unfortunate. Um, Brian says he was at Saturday's game next to the dugout. The team was flat, bro, no life at all. Yeah, there's – the. the Again, I don't want to make like a sweeping generalization, but I think at times this team is needs more life. It needs a little more going on in the dugout, but I don't know who's going to be the one. Wilson's trying to be it. He's trying to carry him on their shoulder on his shoulder with that, but he's also hitting 211 with a 650 OPS. It doesn't really remember earlier this season when I talked about Arenado would be kind of that rah-rah guy maybe or would be that guy that would lead by example when when he is playing poorly, it's kind of hard to buy that if you're the rest of the team. You know, Arnado's not going to do the rah-rah. He's not going to do the burst of blood vessel from getting a triple, like going nuts, ripping a jersey. Like, he's not going to do that kind of stuff if he's not thriving. Contreras will do it in the middle of a one for 23, which I don't think is bad, but you also hope that doesn't, like, rub other people the wrong way. It shouldn't. It would say more about them than it would Contreras if it did because the Cardinals need more of that kind of stuff that Contreras brings. But he also, they need consistent numbers from him, too. It's kind of a balance. Guys, we've done a lot of good stuff today. Uh, there's some Libertor tomorrow. Einstein brings up, what if he carries the team? Just kidding. He isn't that good unless, no, no, no. We can't rely on that guy unless. Yep. I mean, Libertor needs to have a good game tomorrow. This is a legit lineup for Texas, though. So um, it's up to the Cardinals to score a bunch of runs. And maybe that's how they win a game. We'll see. I am going to let you guys go here, though. Appreciate you guys. Like it before we get out of here. We're at 68 likes. You're going to leave this without getting to 69? you got to be kidding me with that. I'm just playing. Follow the show on Spotify. It's B-Shaped Daily. It's also on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe to this YouTube channel before you head out of here on the live stream. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Subscribe to this channel for daily Cardinals content. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show, for this edition of B-Shaped Daily. And then I say we'll talk to you next time on B-Shaped Daily Live. Peace.